dvojíkom na širvan. Šeste polo po Borjan, hojdána, hojdána, na. Burjenu je neprvíc, polevnec je v nenevíc. Burjenu vy neprvíc, polevnec je v nohovíc. Hoj, hoj, hoj! Ani koles, ani špic, povna furo molodec. Hojdána, hojdána, na. Molodec si silová, poterevný darová. We start with Slew High from Winnipeg and a song from their most recent CD. That was Oipoyiko Nashivan, There Went Our Johnny. 
I takem živavim tempom rozpočale našu programu. Dobri den, čenovni radiju Suhočita, vitaju vas vsih na radio predaču Naš Holos, radio Krinskoho Korinja. Jaka podjece vam sjehodni, tak jak i kožni srede, zore nasi tvoj do zore nasi tvojho dene na hvali CHLY, sto deni CMFM u misti na najmo. Hovorit pa vina djakuju, što rišale prebute z nami nastupnih dvoho den, me majmo dušat cikavi nevene na sjehodništi programi i čudovu ukrinsku muziku. Hello there and welcome to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio, coming to you from CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Paulette Demchik-McCory, Pokrinska Pavnina, and I'll be your hour for this, or I'll be your host, rather, for this first hour. And Oksana, of course, will be joining us at 12 noon. But for now, we've got, in this hour, a great program lined up for you, a Ukrainian food flair recipe, and uh, this will be a very seasonal recipe with pumpkin, with Thanksgiving coming up this weekend. As well, we've got a bit of a blast from the past with uh, the story of an interesting bar in Kiev, Ukraine's capital. As well, part one of an interview with Marla Rosher Osborne, who lives in Lviv and has recently formed an NGO called Rohatin Jewish Heritage. And she'll be telling us about her work restoring Rohatin's Jewish heritage. As well, we'll have our usual proverb of the week, other items of interest, and great Ukrainian music. And coming up next is a group from Toronto called Zubrivka. Here they are from their most of their first CD, rather, as Novuvdoma, Home Again, and Chomtenepresho. Why didn't you come? Sidla, 
Next, from the Nasholos Audio Archives, Ukrainian Food Flare. Hello! Here's a unique Ukrainian pumpkin recipe that will be a great hit whenever you make it. It not only looks great, but the flavor is out of this world. The pumpkin, called harbuz in Ukrainian, also known as pie or field pumpkin, cousin to melons, cucumbers, and squash, grows on a low trailing vine. The plant's flowers are large, beautiful, and a creamy white to deep yellow, and they are edible as well. Technically, it is a berry which we use as a vegetable. Generally, the smaller the pumpkin, the better the flavor. The seeds, husked, and roasted are delicately nutty, and pumpkin seed oil is a robustly flavored oil. If you love pumpkin as much as I do, then you'll love this recipe. So get your pens ready for Ukrainian pumpkin rice pudding. You'll need the following ingredients. Two cups milk, one cup long grain rice, two teaspoons salt, two tablespoons butter, two cups pumpkin puree, fresh or canned, three tablespoons sugar, one cup seedless raisins, one well-formed pumpkin with preferably a stem, one cup chopped blanched almonds, quarter teaspoon almond extract, and this is what you do. Heat milk in a heavy pot, add the rice and salt, and bring to a boil. Reduce the heat, cover, and cook 15 minutes. Melt the butter in a skillet. Add the pumpkin and sugar. Plump raisins in hot water and then drain. Add raisins, chopped almonds, and almond extract to the cooked rice. Cut the top of the pumpkin to make a lid. Remove the seeds and membrane. Butter the inside generously. Fill with half of the rice mixture, then a layer of the pumpkin puree, then lastly the rest of the rice mixture, dot with butter. Bake in a 350 degree oven on a greased heavy baking pan or a cookie sheet for about an hour or until warmed through. Spoon out filling to serve. This is great with roast meats, game, or as a dessert. Try it. It's Ukrainian. 
This has been Ukrainian Food Flare from the Nasholos Audio Archives.
and a classic favorite by a classic Ukrainian artist. It's been around a long time, so also a favorite. Her name is Sofia Rotaru. That was Odna Kalena, and that translates as One Cranberry Bush, and that is actually a song about family and national unity. Very symbolic, as Ukrainian songs about nature tend to be. Vysluchajte Radio Peredaču, náš holos Radio Krinskoho Korinja na radiostanci CHLY 101 FM u místi nenajmo. Hovorit Pavlina. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina. Coming up next is the Brio Band. This is a more modern band, a more recent band, and a song called Oyeznayu, Oh I Know, featuring... Oksana Karayim. She 
This is Stefan Andrusiak, and this week I'll play you something a little different and more current. The song is called Baraban, which means drum in Ukrainian. Baraban is also the name of an actual, out-of-the-way, cave Ukraine bistro. I wrote the lyrics and a very basic melody in 2011. However, it took Mike Kuchar's enthusiasm, musicality, and voice to bring the song to life. Baraban is a bit of a rant. The song is also an expression of hope. A visitor wanders into a popular secluded bistro. The stranger quickly discovers that everyone has a menu of their own, demands of their own, offerings, but no one seems to feel responsible for a successful outcome. Having never been to Baraban myself, I use the bar as a metaphor for Ukraine today. Because the song is edgy, at an edgy time, it was very important for me to contact and to inform the owners of the club about the song coming out. Baraban's owner, Ihor Sovtan, wrote me the following. Pisnya vasha duje spodobalasya, vona klasna, takich piseny ne vstachaye Ukraini. Roughly translated, he said, I like your song very much. It is in a special class musically and philosophically. Such songs are too few in Ukraine. Baraban was recorded in front of a live audience during the St. Catharines, Ontario Folk Arts Festival on Saturday, May the 19th in 2012. Mike Kucha wrote the music, sings lead vocals, plays acoustic guitar and bass guitar. Beth Bartley on violin, her husband Mark Clifford, acoustic and dobro guitar, Mark Haggerty on drums, Leanne Vida, and yours truly sing the harmony. Here is Baraban. Starlit alleys lined with dustbins has a place called Baraban Near the street they call Hrishchati Careless with everyone Wandered in with reservations Still I'm here with no regrets Expats, poets, politicians Still they're steaming immigrants Places jammed, so many parties, resolutions, egos great. Outcomes turn to Mama Lega. Order now, please clear the way. Everybody, but a bun, but a bun. You praise one when you're not done. Beat the drum. See the song Thugs are chilling, fevers building, 
golden grains are turning gray. Oh, my sisters and my brothers, no exceptions, rule of love. One son fought, but he faltered. Go and find a better one. Twenty years called it freedom. All the gods, corruption, fear. Beat the drum and end the silence. One great country loud and Stefan's band Rushnichok is no longer around. The music still is, by the way. It's on iTunes. And uh, the former drummer of Rushnichok and former broadcaster, now retired, is back at it. Uh, he's picked up the microphone again. He's now hosting a program called Nasha Kasha, Ukrainian Almanac, and that airs Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern Time on 94.9 FM CHRW, and that is Campus Radio Station at Western University in London, Ontario. And you can find the podcast if the time doesn't work out for you to hear it live. That, again, is Sundays at 8 a.m. Eastern Time. You can find the podcast links at chrwradio.ca. Again, that's for Nasha Kasha, hosted by Stefan Andrusiak. Be less on the 
trio that recently released a CD. They are called Lira, and that song was Kochate Chas, Time to Love. Vizuhite Radio Peridachu Nash Holos, Radio Krinsko Hokorinya, Na Radio Stansi CHLY, Oden Nul Oden Sim FM Umistinanamo. Hovorit Pavina. You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. I'm your host, Pavlina. And now for a look at Ukraine's rich Jewish heritage, then and now. Brought to you by the Ukrainian Jewish Encounter, based in Toronto, Ontario. A few years ago, Marla Rosher Osborne discovered her Jewish roots in the western Ukrainian city of Rohatin. She and her husband have since left their home in California and settled in Lviv in western Ukraine, where they run an NGO called Rohatin Jewish Heritage. This NGO, non-government organization, is dedicated to restoring Rohatin's centuries-old Jewish heritage, which was almost completely obliterated by the Nazis during the Holocaust. It's a daunting project. Of Rohatin's Jewish community, which numbered in the tens of thousands before World War II, only a few remain today. 
Remnants of synagogues, cemeteries, and other visible symbols of this once thriving and vibrant community lie scattered across the area, buried in asphalt and concrete foundations, in forests and fields. Marla has dedicated her life to finding and restoring as many of these remnants as she can. Recently, she kindly agreed to share her story with Nasholus listeners. So, how did you end up starting this whole Rohatin <laughs> adventure? What you and your husband do this, and this is kind of your life's work now. How did you get yeah. started? What brought you to Rohatin? It's a good question. Um, I tell. I like to say I was an accidental <laughs> activist because I didn't go looking for it. It it grabbed me. Um, my Rohatin grandmother, um, my father's mother, w- was a very s- influential person in my life, and she passed away about 15 years ago. And in 2008, while living in Paris, my husband said, you know what, for our anniversary, let's make a trip to Rohatin. In fact, let's make our first trip to Ukraine. And we went, we went to Lviv, we rented a car, we drove in winter, it was February to Rohatin. We had no translator with us, no maps, uh, no information where the Jewish sites were, where my grandmother had lived before she left with her parents and sister in 1914. And two hours later, I couldn't wait to leave. And by the time we got back to Paris, I thought, I've had it. I've made that heritage trip. I never want to go back. But over the next couple of years, the more I thought about it and uh, the more involved I got with a Rohatin Jewish descendants group that was formed on the Internet, the more I realized the problem was not Rohatin. The problem was me, that I hadn't gone prepared. So in 2011, we went back. We brought an interpreter with us. And from that very first visit in 2011, we were introduced to Mikhail Vorobets, and he took us to the sites, and he showed us the Jewish headstones that he had been accumulating, and from there on out, uh, there was no return. So That was it. Wow. Wow. (laughs) You were hooked. So, but but why, like, your husband suggested it, what, why? Why Rohatin? Uh, well, it's a couple reasons. Both of us uh, are have always been sort of the family historians uh, in our particular families. And it's worth pointing out, my husband is not Jewish. Um, but I tell people he's the most Jewish, non-Jewish person you would meet. Um, he is absolutely involved with this project 100%. Um, but I was always very intrigued with my grandmother's family. And I've thought about this a lot because... Um, the family had quite a few, not quite a few, but there were two aunts of my grandmother who had uh, advanced degrees in the interwar period when Rohatin was Polish. And I thought, always found them very fascinating. They didn't have any children. They survived the Shoah, the Holocaust, because mm-hmm. they left Rohatin uh, in the 1930s when there started when there were restrictions starting to be imposed on Jews in certain professions like doctors and teachers, etc. And I always was very intrigued by this side of my family. And in some ways, it was in part because there was so little I knew about that side of the family. And in a way, I think it's symbolic of what Jewish heritage is like in Western Ukraine, because it it is very much about 
empty spaces Mm -hmm. and looking for the traces of either family or heritage that may still exist. And uh, for that reason, despite the fact on my mother's side of the family, which is also from this area, but further east and outside of uh, Galicia, I knew a lot about her family, but I was less interested in that. I was far more interested in the side of the Galician side of the family, which was Western Ukraine based. And to find out, you know, it was a challenge for me to find out what could I discover about the family, what remained of the town what memories still existed with the townspeople of the Jewish population that had lived there at one time. Wow. It's so interesting that you say that it is representative of the Jewish community in Ukraine. Give us the history of Rohatin's Jewish community. Well, we're actually working on a timeline right now for the new museum that's going to be opening in Rohatin, which is a regional museum. And there's going to be a a component of the permanent exhibit on the other ethnicities that lived in Rohatin. So Poles, Jews, Germans, etc. And uh, actually, Jews were granted the rights to granted rights to live in Rohatin and have professions. Uh, around the middle of the 17th century, and uh, sometime shortly thereafter, they acquired uh, property to build synagogues, a Jewish cemetery, etc. So, very much, very typical of Western Ukraine and Galician Western Ukraine, Jews had been present in Rohatin for at least 350 years. Um, and it really was only, you're talking, as you mentioned, a very short period of time that managed to destroy not only the, the people, the physical lives, but the, the culture as well. So we're tr- really trying to spend a lot of time on the, the 350 years that led up to the Holocaust that Jewish people lived in Rohatin and shared Rohatin as a home with Ukrainians, Poles, Germans, etc. That's that's interesting, um, and it's a kind of a refreshing approach to to dealing with this because you know the years I mean, the Holocaust is horrible. People have to know about it. It's it's important that people know about it, but there is so much more. I mean, yeah. that's that's such a negative, sad, tragic. Um, thing it's we have to we can't ever forget it but i think it's important then to start rebuilding and i think maybe that's where we're at now in in our society is is let's start to rebuild and understand the history and uh as amateur historian that's a, a subject that's close to my heart and there was so much you say it goes back to 350 years and a lot has happened a lot happened in that 350 years how much do you think can be restored well, I, it's, it's, that, that's a very good question. I, I for one, uh, like you, am interested in bridge building. I'm interested in learning about the Ukrainian story of Rohatin, which is a huge hole in my understanding. Um, I think that, unfortunately, the years of the Holocaust, of course, have come to define for many um Jews in America, Israel, Australia, etc., the entire experience. But it's very important to recognize that families had a continuous presence in these towns for hundreds of years and multiple generations. And at least in the case of my family, which I think is quite representative of middle-class Jewish Galician families that had been stable for a long time, 
they saw historical events making daily life difficult, but they did not pick up and leave. They saw that they had families, they had businesses, they had relationships with townspeople. And I know from letters and uh, memoirs and interviews I've done with survivors that the feeling was, okay, we've gone through hard times before and we will weather through this and we'll come out the other end. So my, I, I think it's far more interesting to focus on the fact that Rohatin was home to these different ethnic groups, Jewish being one-third of the, of the population of Rohatin for a very long time, uh, and to understand what it was about the, the town, the village, and then ultimately the city that, that prompted them to stay and call it home. That is interesting, and it's very neat to think of that as a a community sticking it out. This is home. I mean, we here in Canada, (laughs) it's kind of the same thing. Um, And here in uh, mid-20th century, all of a sudden, you have people that come in and completely slaughter a third of this city's inhabitants. And this is actually something I think that a lot of people aren't aware of, is this is how most of the Holocaust happened. This is, this is the killing fields that yes. you know, everybody knows about Auschwitz and, and the death camps. And, and um, that kind of seems to um, symbolize what the Holocaust yes. was about. But there were so many people that didn't get on those trains that were murdered yes. wholesale. And um, so this is really something that uh, I think the work that you're doing is starting to open eyes and make people aware the scope is much broader than what anyone actually recognized. And Yeah, and, and yeah. you bring up a very good point, which is it's, it's you know, generally, uh, and I can only speak in as, an, as an American Jew, especially a West Coast American Jew, and that, and that is there was a sense that the Holocaust is about Auschwitz. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's a, a very complex topic that continues to evolve. Even in the last few years, our understanding of the extent and um, efficiency of the Holocaust continues to be revised. This is the land of the Holocaust by bullets. Um, the vast majority of Rohatin's Jews, like the vast majority of Jews in Western Ukraine and Galicia ended up in mass graves, not deported to death camps. And the these graves and the physical culture that they left behind in the terms of cemeteries, synagogues, uh, schools, even sports centers, you know, they continue to exist even if the people are not still there. And the fact is, For the last 75 years, those living in the towns, the Ukrainians living in the towns that were once populated by Jews, Poles, and others, are the ones who, on a day-to-day basis, are living with the physical reminders Mm -hmm. of the abrupt and horrible ending of those cultures in the Holocaust. And in many cases, they're the ones who have been caring for these sites. That's certainly true in Rohatin. That's, I find that interesting because um, that was a huge, um, just um, uh, the, the destruction that the Nazis did was so sudden and so devastating, but it didn't end with them because, um, 
that part of Ukraine, so right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that part of Ukraine was given over, you know, the the uh, the, the Yalta Agreement, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, there's an, another complete another story of Ukrainian patriot repatriation. But uh, the, for the people that stayed, the whole thing kind of carried on. It didn't. The Soviets weren't interested in rebuilding. Let's put it that way. No, and in many cases, in fact, the Soviets continued the, destru- the destruction of the cultural heritage mm. that existed. Uh, it's not so much the case in Rohatin, but there are certainly villages and towns all around Rohatin where even if a cemetery or synagogue did manage to survive the, the Nazi destruction, the Soviets came in and destroyed it, or they finished off the destruction that started. So it's, yeah, I agree. It's for Ukrainians, it ended up being sort of a double, uh, a double occupation that, that absolutely from a Jewish perspective closed the window on uh, a Jewish presence and a Jewish memory and froze even in the educational system, um, the discussion of those that lived in towns prior to the Soviet and Nazi occupation. But the villagers kind of in secret seemed to, well, I don't know if this was pre-1991 when um, the Soviet Union collapsed and Ukraine became a sovereign nation. Um, was that was at that point that the villagers started to uh, dig in and start to um, preserve what uh, the, you know what little was left of the their Jewish heritage in the in the village, or was it before that during the Soviet times in secret? It, you, um, you know, it's very hard for me to say because my the sort of the the key date of the first post-war Jews to go back and visit Rohatim was 1998, oh. when a handful of survivors from Israel with their children, grandchildren, etc., Israel and America, went back to Rohatin, working with the city of Rohatin to put up a few monuments and memorials at the two Jewish cemeteries and the two mass grave sites, remembering the Jewish community. So whose initiative, uh, but, sorry, whose, sorry? In, whose initiative was that then? Was that the, 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 was the city already doing it, or was it this group that... Uh, no, the city own, has owned, I don't know how long they have, but the city has owned the properties that had previously been the Jewish cemeteries and mass grave sites, Mm -hmm. um, probably since independence, I'm assuming, and on the initiative of descendants in Israel and America, they were in contact with the city about memorializing these spaces. There there were two uh, um, Soviet memorials, Soviet-era memorials that were put up at the mass grave sites, but as is typical with Soviet memorials, they said nothing about the victims in the graves as being Jewish. They just said victims of fascism. And mm. uh, but it was but it, but no, surely the Rohatiners in the town remembered. Many of them remembered because you still had elderly people that were alive then that aren't alive today, mm-hmm. and. Those that lived in Rohatin were certainly aware that the sites had been Jewish cemeteries or mass grave sites because I can tell you, for instance, with the mass grave at the south end of site, the villagers on their own initiative have not uh, plowed. And it's in a very rural part of the town, and they have um, self-regulated dealing with that property, for lack of a better word. So it has stayed sort of wild because they all know what it was during the war and out of respect, they don't touch it. 
So the memory was still there, but nothing had actually been um, professionally or officially, maybe that's the better word, officially um, tagged, marked. Acknowledged, uh, yeah. Memorialized, yeah. Right. And at this point, but but again, the memory was still there among people in town, and it was certainly the case with the city of Rohatin as well. You're listening to Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. We're speaking with Marla Rosher Osborne, founder of the Rohatin Jewish Restoration Project, Rohatin Jewish Heritage. In the second part of this interview, Marla will tell us about a retired teacher in his 80s who continues to share his knowledge of Rohatin's Jewish past and about the role he plays in her organization. Marla will also share details of various facets of her Rohatin restoration project, in particular locating headstones from Jewish cemeteries that had been desecrated and vandalized by the Nazis and Soviet authorities and lie hidden in pieces throughout the area. Join us two weeks from now for part two of our interview with Marla Rosher Osborne. Until then, Shalom. And our proverb of the week translates as, Even burning incense won't help a fool. Well, my time with you is almost up. So one last toe-tapper by the female beat from Winnipeg and the hot Kalameka. And that brings us to the end of the first hour of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. Please stay with us as Oksana takes over the microphone to host the next hour. Meanwhile, please join me here again next Wednesday from 11 a.m. till 12 noon. And until then, do stay in touch with both Oksana and me via our Facebook page and Twitter. And make sure to visit the Nasholos website where you can get the podcast links, a link to our blog, and other information about the show. And that's www.nasholos.com. 
So stay tuned next for the Nasholis Ukrainian Hour with Oksana, followed by World Beat Canada with Vancouver's Cal Coat, and at 2 p.m. join our own Gord Bibby for two hours of Groovin' with Bibby G. I'm Pavlina. Thanks so much for listening. Dozu Sirichi. Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.